What is going on, everybody? And welcome back to the STL Tones podcast. Uh, Abel here, and I am joined by none other than Lassa Lambert himself. Lassa, what's going on, man? How are you? Hi, man. I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. All, thing con- all things considered with everything going on in the world, man, I'm actually doing pretty amazing. So, Yeah, it's fucking crazy, isn't it? Like, Especially <laughs> in the USA right now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's it's safe to say that the USA right now is is pretty is pretty insane. But uh, how is it for you guys out there in Germany? Is everything is everything okay over there? Yeah, it's getting more relaxed. Um, I mean, like we're doing the whole like everyone does, or so supposed to do, like the whole social distancing and mask thing. But it's it's kind of it's almost back to regular life now. Um, it was a bit tough the first like three months especially if you have kids like I, well now three kids um had two kids back then and like with the kids being at home not being able to go to kindergarten or daycare it's a bit yeah it was a bit stressful and was hard on the kids too because they're well they can't see their friends and anything so that was a bit tough but now it's pretty much back to normal like wear a mask when you go shopping and uh that's pretty much it and so yeah all good here Good, yeah, definitely. Here, it's it's been interesting. Here, it's it's been uh, it's been up and it's been down, up and down as far as people being scared of everything. So it's it's you never know what's going to happen, man. I, I went out there one day and just felt like it was all over, and then I went out the next day and it's all back. So uh, you never know what's really going to happen. But uh, what have you been? Uh, what have you been doing to keep busy creatively? Have you still been working with bands throughout this whole thing, or have you been separated from uh, most of your you know clients and people that you've been working with? I've done a bit less. Um, I'm doing a lot of like remote mixing. Ben sent me stuff and I, I mix and I was supposed to mix like three or four albums starting like late March. And Ben's couldn't just couldn't send me the stuff because they couldn't get into the studios to finish vocals or guitars or whatever. So there was a bit of a uh, like down period early where I didn't really have that much to do. I still had work and I still mix a little bit. Kind of actually worked out well because like I said, the kids were at home, and so I had more time to to spend with them and just do a little bit of mixing. And now everyone's going back into the studios and sending me stuff, and so now stuff keeps flooding in, and I'm just uh, like swamped. But that's good. So back to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, being being swamped is always a uh, being swamped is always a good thing. So because I was gonna, you know, I knew I was gonna end up doing this, and so I uh, listened to a lot more Alestorm than I normally would. Which meant that I end up drinking oh, a lot more than I normally would. <laughs> Welcome amazing. to my life. Yeah, I was. And that's leading to my question because it's amazing how just listening to the music. I, I put the music on, and you know, my friend comes over, and we make videos, uh, obviously for STL tones, and we make, uh, you know, just videos in general for YouTube channels. And so I, I put it on. I was like, dude, I want to have a beer so bad right now. Like, I just want to drink uh, as I have it on. It's just such a fun band to listen to. It's such a fun like type of music to it's like it's like a bunch of drunken uh like just party songs you know what i mean but heavy metal which hasn't really been there before so uh, it's fun to record too. uh how so what's, what's what no it's okay what's that process like working with them is are they as fun as they sound uh through their music absolutely um I've, i think the first one we recorded in 2007 so that's 13 years now wow um so yeah um and we've kind of evolved together. So the, the first one, like it was essentially my band playing the stuff because, uh, well, either the guys couldn't come over because there was no budget or they just, uh, some of them just weren't 
good enough to be honest. So um, they just came to my place. We just uh, improvised stuff here, really. Like they had the songs uh, pretty much written, but uh, no one had an idea where it's where it's going to be going and how we actually should approach this. And and it kind of developed from from album to album. And we've we've kind of come up with our I think pretty much it's more or less like a unique uh, way of doing things and. Uh, the more recent albums, the thing is the album cycle where the band comes here in January and uh, as much as I like my hometown here, Lübeck, it's, uh, it's not so pleasant in January because it's freezing cold mm-hmm. and the band didn't like that either. So as soon as, uh, as there was a budget to do something, we just decided or the band decided to just go some place nice to record. So the last one, um, No Grave But The Sea, we did in Florida actually. Um, just to like rent it like a Airbnb house with the with a pool and just had a had a good time. And the last one we did in January this year in Thailand at Krabby Road Studios. And it's like um you rent like a villa and a studio and the whole compound is just amazing. You've got a the pool is literally fifteen meters from the studio. And so it's a lot of sitting around in the sun and drinking cocktails and just having having a good old time. So yeah, that's that's definitely fun. But um, as much fun as the music is, and as not serious as it sounds, the musicians are really good now, and they're actually taking the music seriously. Doesn't mean they take they don't take well. It doesn't mean they take themselves too seriously. Or um, what I'm trying to say is they're not they don't think they are pirates. And some of their fans are that's what some of the fans have a problem with. Like they expect them to be all dressed up with an eye patch and stuff, and uh, they just don't take themselves too seriously. But that doesn't mean that they take, don't take the music seriously. They're all really accomplished musicians and good at what they do, and they're really good songwriters, especially Chris is doing a lot of the songwriting, and he's also writing for Glory Hammer and some other stuff. And so he's got a very unique way of, of writing, which is pretty, very, I'd say, uh, pop. It's, it's a pop approach. That's why it's so catchy. He's, he's He doesn't reinvent the wheel or anything it's just uh he does what he does catchy shit and and that's what people like really get drunk and sing along and just uh have a good time so yeah yeah no i agree i think i think sometimes like now it's it's very hard to convey emotion when you're whenever you're writing a song uh, which i'm sure you're very familiar with you sit down and you say i want to write this type of a song and by the time you actually get into the song it's just what was in your head is not what actually comes out and it doesn't end up being that way so uh the fact that yeah he and the band themselves have the ability to take that music and really sort of produce that message of like this is happy this is fun we're all having a good time but if you listen to the if you listen to number one of the, to the riffs because i'm a guitar player first and foremost so if you listen to the riffs they're amazing they're technical it's heavy metal. The drums are following. You got really tight, you know, you got really tight double kick going in there when it needs to be in there. And it sounds really good. So it's such a crazy dynamic of actual, you know, talented musicians playing music like pirates that are having a drunken good time. It's such an it's such an amazing mix, I think. Uh, it's, it's not really something that's out there very much right now. And it sounds very simple. People are like, oh, this is uh, anyone could play that. But it's actually not. It's actually quite some of it is quite challenging to play, not, not only the guitars, but the other stuff as well. Um, I had to play like one of the albums, which one was it? I don't know. I didn't have a guitar, so I had to play all the guitars. And I was like, okay, this is not as, not as simple as I thought it would be. <laughs> and some of it is quite challenging. And, um, we've got some good musicians coming from outside as well. Like all the brass is real instruments, for example. And there's a, 
like a music uh, school university actually in Lübeck here and I'm getting some of the brass guys from there so all the brass is real and we had um, Ellie from uh, Subway to Sally uh, do all the violin parts and there's a Hurdy-Gurdy player and Petty Gurdy um, she's doing Hurdy-Gurdy stuff and did a little bit of uh, clean vocals as well so um, what we usually do is we just record the like the core band um, like this time in, in Thailand for example just the drums and, and guitars and bass and then vocals and then I get the stuff here and, and just record the, the other guys, the extras in my studio, and mix them in. And all those are professionals too, usually. It wasn't always like that, but but now this is kind of how it's working and it's, yeah, it's working out, I think. So what's what's your general approach to um, to basically starting, like, let's say you're going to start an album, you know what I mean? And you're going to start tracking songs. Where do you go first? Do you try to get drums tracked first? Do you try to get guitars tracked first? Where, where do you start? Usually it's the drums for me. Um, sometimes, like this time, for example, it's a good example. On in, uh, in Thailand, we I want to do the same thing, but we had um, the, the drummer Pete. He's got a, like a massive kit with a lot of like extra auxiliary splashes and double hi hats and all sort of stuff. So I needed some extra mics, and uh, Aston Microphones uh, sent me a few, or well, were supposed to send me a few, and they did, but they kind of got stuck in customs. So we had to wait like almost two weeks for the mics to arrive. So I had to start with other stuff first. And I think this time we recorded guitars first. The songs are pretty much well, finished already. So they've got like their Guitar Pro um, skeleton that we can use as a, like a guide track or something. So that mm -hmm. works. Um, so this time was a bit backwards, but usually I, I like to record drums first because it's uh, when the other instruments come in, it's, it's easier to vibe on drums, I think. Uh, to just instead of just to play to a click or program drums, and then I usually start with guitars after after drums. Um, the main reason for that is I've got four guitar tracks or two at least for rhythm guitars, and and one bass track. And bass players usually tend to fret a bit sharp, and often can't hear that. If you don't have guitars in, you don't even hear that the bass is a little bit sharp. Right. And then the guitars come in, and everything is just off. So it's easier for me to have the guitars in and then record the bass because it's a easier to hear and be easier to tune the bass to the guitars than the other way around. Plus, uh, to be honest, most of the time guitar players know the song better than the bass player, and it happens all the time that like you've got the guitars recorded and then the bass is like, "Oh, that's what you're playing. I thought it's an F sharp. It's an F, really." Because oh. uh, part of the reason is because bass players, and also like you can't the 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 pitch is not as easy to to recognize on the very low notes, especially if you if you've got a your rehearsal room scenario and the bass is just like rumbling along. You often can't even hear if you're like half a note off. So it's good to have the like the guitars, which are definitely correct as a like a well foundation for the whole thing. Right. So then the then I usually do the bass because the bass is, in my opinion, pretty important for the singer to get the, the pitch and the vibe and the groove. And yeah, after the bass is usually the singer, but it also depends a bit on how much time we have and uh, what type of vocals it is, and if the singer needs needs rest. So I often try to give this singer some rest days, or even just do half a day, and then do leads, and do another half day, and then do some keyboard overdubs or whatever, just to have his like voice uh, in the best possible state, really. And um, yeah, that's it. Just uh, pretty pretty much. Standard for a rock band, I think. Right.
right? Uh, how do you how do you go about dialing in a guitar tone? Like, let's say they haven't really settled on an exact guitar tone before they came into the studio. What's your process for sitting back and saying, "All right, let's go and try this out first. Let's figure this out and figure out what guitar tones you guys want." How do you approach that? Um, usually, I like to have a at least a rough direction of where we're going with the sound, even before I start marking drums. Like, I want to know what what sort of tones do you guys like? Give me reference uh, CDs or whatever. It doesn't mean we're trying to match that, but just to have like if, if they want Pantera um, and I'm I'm trying to get Killswitch engaged and it's totally different, uh, everyone's going to be well not happy in the end. So I, I want to like have a rough roadmap of where we're going tone wise, and well, and then it's usually pretty clear what I'm using guitar wise is um, I usually have like three or four heads in mind and uh, one or two cabs depending on, on what they want. I've got I've got like a the characters, the basic characters of the, the cabs I associate with the colors usually. And mm -hmm. um, that's that's how I approach a mix too. It's like a, I want this more purple or more blue. And um, like if I want a lighter blue, I, I move the microphone a bit more towards the center. And so I'm kind of mixing by, by colors in my mind anyway. And so once I get these reference mixes, I, I do have a general color already. And that's how I choose amps because my amps have colors too for me. Mm -hmm. And so often I just pick those two or three amps and and cabs and just uh, dial in a tone I like, which is usually pretty quick, and then reamp the short section and just do a blind test, just uh, uh, solo one or put it in the mix and just cycle through them and see what works best. But right. as, to be honest, uh, people expect kind of some magic there, and it's it's really very very simple. And I was like, people are <coughs> sorry. People are going to be disappointed if I tell them what I'm really doing because it's uh, all I'm doing is like you put a 57 in front of a vintage 30, and that's it. So uh, <laughs> there's no magic to it, really. And well, I guess I mean I've been doing this for for a long time, and I know my cabs inside out, and that might might be the secret because if, if you do something for like forever, it becomes second nature to you, and so it seems very natural uh, for me anyway I just put it there and it sounds good but maybe that's because i've been doing it for like forever yeah you know i think the biggest misconception uh that's going on now is the fact that uh, there's so many different people so they take somebody like you and then all the other main artists that are out there now but there's so many different ones that people are constantly trying to figure out how are they getting their sound how do they know what they need to do to put on a record and if you actually ask everybody the first thing they're going to tell you is like, look, until you guys told me it sounded great, I didn't know if it was good or if it wasn't. I just thought it sounded good and I put it through and this is just kind of what I do now. You know what I mean? So I think it's uh, it, it's people are always going to expect expect that magic to be there because they, you know, the same thing when I first started, it's the same thing. I was like, man, how do I how does he know what sounds good? Like, how does he know what to dial in, where to where to take out mids, where to bring in bass? Like. Where is the guide that I'm looking for to figure this out? And it's like, no, you just listen to it, you record it. And I think that what I'm getting back from all the producers, guitar players that have some of the most legendary tones, it's always the same thing. I thought it sounded good, so I recorded it. You know what I mean? And then I just kept doing it. I think the main thing you should have is uh, a picture of where you want to go and, and the knowledge or experience how to get there. And the tools you're using on the way is just, uh, it's really just that as tools and, and, and no presets. It's gonna work 100% for everything, really. Um, like any Sneep, for example, I've always been like his biggest fan, still am. 
right. and so I visited him uh, I don't know eight years ago or something I got his old desk and uh, so sat in with him and he just uh, showed me one of the mixes he was working on I think it was uh, hell back then his own band and he just uh, walked through the tracks and, and just showed me the plugins and the stuff and I was like wow, that's all the same shit I'm doing there's nothing magical about it really but it fucking sounds awesome in the end <laughs> so it's, it's definitely not uh, his tools it's definitely just and he couldn't he couldn't really answer either like he couldn't say oh this is the magic thing it's just oh well i just uh thought, thought that sounded good so i just put that in yeah and unfortunately that's that, that's what it is like you have there's no no shortcut to just getting that experience to just, or even the the courage to just fucking crank that thing like for example i'm um i'm now working on a mix that i'm i'm usually when i'm doing metal or modern metal stuff you need all the space you get especially with bands like Grawley Emma and Eight Storm and all those bands where you've got like layers and layers and layers of uh, all sorts of stuff often you don't even hear it but there's like synth and orchestras and all that sort of stuff that needs to fit in the same range so you try to <coughs> just try to clean out as much space as you can with uh, surgical EQs and compressors and filters and, and just fit everything in and now I'm just working on a mix uh, for another band with don't even know of it. The band doesn't exist yet as a band, but it's um like a very it's a rock star, all star team, I'd say. So people I've been from bands I've been listening to when I grew up, like gods in my in my eyes, kinda. Mm. So um I just recorded the, the thing and I, I'm approaching this one more like a, a CLA mix, I'd say. So I just put like an SSL strip on every channel and just put it on the desk. And didn't do any surgical cue, just like broad strokes, just boosted high end on everything and just twisted knobs and really quick. And I sent them the first rough mix yesterday and I was so scared because I was like, this is like going naked to a first date. Because she, she might like what she sees, but like the regular thing is to wear pants and, and, and a shirt. Right. Or in other words, you put samples on and have everything clean and stuff. And this was because I'm not used to it. I'm not used to working this broad stroke just vibrant kind of alt rock grungy kind of thing and they turned out loving it but it was really very self-conscious about it because uh, it's not my usual approach uh, to do stuff but it's also good to just uh, try something else every now and then and it keeps you fresh that's also um i like working out of different studios for example uh, i do a lot of stuff in other places like uh when a band from the usa Sometimes it's better or cheaper for them to fly me in and rent a studio there than to come over with like four or five people. Same with, I've been well to Thailand, to India and USA a couple of times and worked out of different studios. So you have to really, uh, you're thrown into all sorts of different scenarios and situations and have to deal with them. And I kind of like that because it um, keeps you on your toes and, and, and it makes you, it forces you to develop new ways around stuff to improvise. And often that leads to something new and interesting rather than just having the same old uh, mixed template preset or whatever and just uh, do the same thing over and over and over again. It also means that sometimes maybe you end up with a mix that you think could have been better if you had just used, I don't know, the last band's mix template. Right. But um, I don't know, I feel like, I know it's weird and it's just in my head probably, but I feel, I feel like I'm cheating if I'm using a template that worked for me because I want to have the the tracks and the sound of the band and just uh, do what I think is best for the band. And I can only do that if I do it like from scratch and just uh, listen to the tracks and tweak what I think needs tweaking instead of using the same samples and the same whatever on it. 
So yeah. All right, man. That's that's super interesting. I mean, I can't imagine like taking you know your comfort zone and then flying out to Thailand or wherever else you may be and be like, all right, I'm gonna basically record an album and a record and produce everything from here where you're out, you're not with your gear, you're completely somewhere else, you're dealing with other stuff. Granted, obviously audio, you know, audio equipment is audio equipment. You, you tip, have a basic idea of what's going on, but um, that's, I, yeah, I think it's remarkable to be able to work like that in different places and just kind of take a blank, you know, template and start fresh and be like, well, I'm going to make an album out of this. And it's so much fun too. Um, first time I was in Thailand was actually was ages ago now. Um, it was like an orphanage in the jungle of Thailand and it was after the tsunami hit and we went over there with a couple of um, like German pop star um, musicians and just went directly, it was in the jungle, like in a fucking bamboo hut essentially and we brought a Mackie 8 bus, like an old desk with us and a bunch of like one of those starter collection Sennheiser mics or something like that, whoever sponsored us. <clears throat> And uh, when we arrived there, like we had to build this studio in in this hut essentially. So I had to take uh, we had a proper grounding problem. So I had to take like a big metal pole and like put it in the ground to get some grounding and to get rid of the hum. And the drums we had there was an all Pearl Export kit with heads were so beat up that I actually flipped the toms over and reused the bottom heads as uh, beater heads and. So uh, that sort of stuff, or like the plan was to, there was not nothing written before. We had, I think, 16 days there, or like a bit more than two weeks anyway, uh, to record an album, shoot a documentary, and record three music videos, and write all the songs for that album too. And the plan was to uh, do that with the kids. So kids were from like babies to 14 years maybe. And we wanted to just record and write songs with them, not knowing back then that their instruments, all the stuff we wanted to use, has nothing to do with our 12-tone system here. So it just, uh, it wouldn't really fit naturally. So we had to, like, or the artist had to write music around those instruments and around what works there. And that's, that was one of the best uh, engineering experiences of my life, really, because it was so, so out there and so wild. Uh, actually, like, I didn't even have a proper bed because there was some like mattress that was supposed to be my bed, but there were like loads of ants uh, running over it and uh, that wouldn't go. So I just ripped uh, after we did, we had like those foam things on the wall that we put up there, like the thin, not so good ones. And every day after recording, I just ripped them off and put them on the ground and that's where I slept. Um, yeah, and that was like one of the first times actually I, I went out and recorded out of my comfort zone and that was like the most wild time you can imagine and from there on it well what else can happen really <laughs> like uh, <laughs> it was as insane as it could get really and it worked out and 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 the album did all right and yeah it was great well like four years ago i went to, to india for a recording with a, a band called inner sanctum really good thrash band but also same thing like uh we rented a place there, a recording studio, which was decent. But the whole, like if you if you go to places like Asia, people tell you to not drink tap water or something. Something that's obvious or not, try to look out for ice in your drinks because you want one with a hole in, in the ice cube or whatever. But we were in the, like in the, absolutely not in the touristy area. Like when I left the studio, I had like 25, 30 kids around me because I was the first white person they saw and the first white person with tattoos on top of that. And 
like uh, I was so lucky that I had the band with me because they helped me out with uh, stuff like even bottled water. They told me you can't drink bottled water there because uh, they actually take the water bottles and just fill crappy water in there and then seal it off with like super glue or something so it cracks again when you open it. And or even restaurants like in that that place which wasn't touristy at all. You couldn't. They told me to not eat meat like even if it's chicken because it's probably not chicken and stuff like that. Uh, which is quite interesting. So I like those kind of experiences. That's incredible. <laughs> That's, those are two amazing, amazing stories. I mean, I can't imagine there's that many producers that have gone and worked in, in those types of environments and been, have been taken that far out of their comfort zone. That's, that's, that's absolutely incredible, man. Yeah, it's fun, though. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, so uh, just kind of switching gears here really quick. Uh, you've recently been working on a new pack for STL Tones, and uh, I believe it's yeah. called the, uh, the German Boutique pack, correct? Yeah, correct. How did you approach be, uh, making the presets for uh, for that pack? Quite different from the last one, because the last ones were all tones I either used in mixes already, or um, I just approached those exactly the way I would approach a, a tone for that I'm going to use in the mix. So I had, usually had a boost and uh, had it set so that I could just drop it into the mix the way I'm mixing. And people still seem to like that, but a lot of people also want a more like uh, less tight, uh, throatier tone maybe, mm -hmm. which is fair enough. Uh, and and a lot of people ask me for like more driftboard profiles. And, and I didn't want to just do a driftboard bundle because I've got a lot of like of these German MC like Earforce, for example, that usually people don't have. And so I figured why not just do like a German amp pack and most of these German amps are somewhat boutique so that's what I thought I should call it just a German boutique uh, pack and first I wasn't sure if I should because I like I like the Mesa cab for example it's like my favorite cab and I wasn't sure if I should just use German amps and and whatever cab I like and then I decided no um they're good German cabs too like the Dietzel and the and the um, Engel and Wagner well, Wagner technically is uh, not German anymore, but he's German and moved to California. So, and so yeah, this is all German uh, and no boosts. I did create some of the uh, profiles with, with a boost in mind. So I created the profile, I tried a boost, I dialed it in so that it works with a boost, and then I took the boost off again and, and just uh, profiled it with the amp without the boost. So you can use your green scream or whatever boost you want inside. Uh, the camper or inside tone hub or just use your external that one for example yeah. <laughs> i got yeah, knobs so i've had this one for a long time need that. <laughs> yeah. yeah so um this this pack is um should be more versatile but less um i think it's more versatile because you've got the the good growly basic tones that you could use as they are they're also more flexible in terms of you can boost them with your own boost or you can tweak them EQ them to your liking and they're all merged profiles so you can swap cabs and and amps and for for the camper one anyway and for the tone hub it's uh well you got the separate uh cab micing section anywhere we can use mics and yeah and i shouldn't think you should have a, a lot of variation in there with a with that basic uh, patch and tone hop to just move mics and, and get your tone from that and, and use different boosts. And I also tried every single patch and every single chain I 
I created with different guitars, single coil Fenders, uh, Strats and Telecasters and, and, and Gibsons with low output pickups, like old PAF, uh, PAF type pickups and EMGs and, um, and Fishman Fluence. So I tried every single chain with different guitars to make sure that the resulting sound is exactly what the amp sounds like with that guitar. So you don't get this, uh, oh, you need this guitar or that guitar with active pickups uh, to get this um, profile or this patch to sound right. Uh, no, if you use your guitar and you get the exact same sound you would get from the amp if you use that same chain. So you really do get the sound of the amp. And that's also why I decided to not use boost because I'm probably going to use a boost in a in a heavy context anyway if it's like a faster thrashy event or something. But I wanted to give people the the actual tone of the amp, the unaltered original tone of the of the band uh, of the amp as direct as possible and as uh, chest punching as possible. So I hope I accomplished that. And well, we'll see. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, for, for people who may be watching or listening right now, um, what we're talking about right now, and I, I could be incorrect, I may be correct, but uh, this may or may not be out when you actually watch or listen to this. This may be uh, about a week ahead of time uh, from releasing this pack. But uh, what Lasso is working on is working on a German boutique pack for the Tone Hub plugin platform. So uh, if you if this is before uh, this gets released, then uh, you're looking forward to an amazing, amazing pack that he has worked on and released. And if this is already out right now, then head over to STL Tones and check that out. Uh, and what he's talking about is this is going to be a pack that is largely uh, full of presets that are unboosted amplifier models. So you're not going to have that traditional overdrive in front of each one of the presets. Uh, he wants to give you guys that you know that full experience of the amplifier and allow you to go in and add the overdrive as you guys know you've got about three different overdrives in that tone hub plugin platform so if you want to shape your tone from there you can definitely do that you can shave that down uh you can reduce gain you know shape up you know increase the base a little bit then throw that overdrive on top and tighten up that bottom end but uh just in case you guys are wondering that's what we're talking about and uh you know like i said when you guys are watching this go ahead and head over to stl tones and find out if it's going to be really soon or if it already is really soon. so um you know, kind of moving on to a different question, and we're already talking about gear. So what is your opinion right now personally on the current state of, you know, amplifiers and gear? Are you still buying new gear? Are you still trying new stuff as it comes out? Are you still excited about that? Or or are you just really sticking with what you know? I'm not as excited anymore because uh, I'm a bit of, I'm on the one hand, I'm, I'm really uh, OCD about every little detail and I'm trying tons of different preamp tubes and different picks and all the tiny detail. And then the next day I like, I don't give a fuck. And I just uh, <laughs> switch the amp on and just record. And I'm moving more and more towards the latter, to be honest, because uh, it, it was fun and it still is fun to do all these shootouts and go into all these tiny, tiny little differences about stuff. But I feel sometimes that it might take away a little bit of the creativity depending on where you are in your workflow right now like if I'm mixing uh, I'd rather get a mix going on real quick now like uh, just throw up the faders and get the mix going and just uh, vibe through it mm -hmm. rather than uh, spend two days finding the perfect uh, combination of preamp tubes or something so I'm not as excited about new stuff anymore when it comes to amps because I mean there are great amps out there and I'm sure they're there are great amps that I don't know of and that are being released soon or built in some shed by some awesome genius tube guru. But 
it's all going to be just a different color of what I already have. And I've got so many colors now that I can really create any painting I want. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't feel like I need this neon sparkle amp because I already have a sparkle amp and a neon amp and I can create that neon sparkle tone out of that. Mm -hmm. so. That's a, that's a great way to put it. How you already have the colors that you know you know of to create whatever painting you're looking for. You don't need any new colors. You already know what you already have, and uh, you can definitely create something on any canvas at this point. Uh, do you have any bands that you're working with uh, recently that are wanting to try? Maybe they have a signature sound that they've developed with a current amp or something like that, and you maybe have to move them over to a sound and say, "Hey, you know, this is a sound that I already know." Uh, as opposed to what they're going for. Have you ever tried to had to steer anybody lately from the new stuff? Um, well, I'm trying to not push my tones onto them. Like if they if they have their sound and they want to use it, I'm happy to use it. Mm -hmm. But usually the reason they come to me is because they like what I'm doing. So often that doesn't even come up. I might one case last year have a band from Macedonia, I think. And uh uh, hard face they're called and they're they're amazing actually and the guitarist he's got his own company and he builds this his own amps so he sent me one because he wanted it on the record uh and that was great actually i was happy to use it and it sounded great um not saying i couldn't have achieved similar results or as good results but another amp but it was a great amp he, he built it himself and he wanted it so i used it um and i'm happy to to do that on um the problem is with um, when people suggest stuff they or stuff they like. It's usually amps. It's never cabs. Right. And what they don't get is that, as much as I like being a nerd about amps, uh, if we're being honest here, the amp is 10, 20 percent of the whole chain. If that, like the cab, makes a much bigger difference, and the miking makes a world of a difference. Like. Um, I've got, I don't know, 10 or 12, uh, 412 caps here, all equipped with Minish 30 speakers. So it's the same speaker. It's the same basic design of uh, four speakers in an enclosure, but just slightly different dimensions. And those speaker caps all sound way more different from each other than all the amps do. And, and that's always a bit of the hypocrisy going on in the, well, I don't know if it's hypocrisy, but like buying amps is so much sexier than buying cabs. So everyone's going on about the new amp and the new, well, the new amp is that awesome. And they're still using the same old cab. And, and yeah, I'm usually thinking like, just get a new cab, get, get a better cab and you, you're going to improve your tone so much more. Um, that's why I'm usually when people, like it never happened to me that someone said, oh, can you please use an angle cab like those? But it happens all the time that they say, can you please use a rectifier? I love rectifiers. Um, if that happens, I try to tell them, well, I'm happy to use a rectifier if it works for you. But see that the tone is really in the whole chain. Let's just try what, what I think sounds best. I'll send you a rough mix. And if you don't like it, I'm happy to tweak it until you love it. I'm happy to use your stuff. But let's just uh, see what really works best for the, for the track or for the, for the album instead of just uh, focusing on this one amp now that you happen to like that might not even work in this context. Right. But yeah, I'm not forcing my, my stuff on them, definitely. Right, right, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I have, I have this, uh, and I, I still have it, and that's because it's so cheap that if I sold it, nobody would buy it. But I, a long time ago, I bought this 2 by 12 cab, and it was like $200 brand new. And this one, I didn't know anything about amplifiers and cabinets, but I knew 
that I'd been watching all these YouTube channels and I'd been watching all these guys record stuff. Now I was like, if I'm going to record stuff. If I'm going to start a YouTube channel, I have to have an amp and I have to have a cab. I can't just have plugins. So I bought this two by 12 cab and it's probably the worst sounding two by 12 cab that's ever been made ever. It was $200 brand new ship, right? Ship to me. I got like a water or something like that. And it shows up and I get this PV 6505 or it was either the 6505 or it was a 5150. I can't remember, but it was, the iconic amp, right? And I, I track one down and I bought it. And I was like, all right, well, if I have a 2 by 12 cab and I have a PV6505, then... Trivium now. That's it. I should have, yeah, I should have the world's greatest heavy metal guitar tone. And that's when I bought this thing, which is why it's so old. Because I was like, if I have this, an amp and a cab, I'm pretty much set. And it sounded so bad. It sounded like shit. I was like, I, I don't understand why my guitar, it sounded really raspy. It almost sounded like a... You know how like if you have a plug-in and you don't have an impulse response loaded and it just sounds like crap? It sounded like that. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? So and the whole time I was like, this amp is garbage, right? This amp is shit. So I, I went and bought another amp. And this time I actually spent some money on the amplifier. Same thing, right? Or was it, no, I'm sorry, it was a preamp pedal. It was a preamp pedal, and then I was like, all right, I'm gonna buy this preamp pedal. I'll put that through, that'll fix the problem. And then finally, eventually, I like started reading, started looking, looking stuff up, and then I bought this angle two by twelve with uh, two vintage thirties in it. And now, no matter what I put through it, it sounds absolutely amazing. It doesn't matter what I put on top; I can put a really crappy head on it, and it still sounds really good. So, yeah, I, 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 nobody really ever brings up that point. So I thought it was great that you brought that up. That it is much sexier to buy a brand new amp. It is much more exciting to change the colors and the knobs and and the tubes and whatever you have going on with all the technology they're putting in them. But nobody ever says, Hey, why don't you change the cab first and let's get a new cab. Nobody ever says that. And my buddy's never like, Hey bro, you got to check out this cab. I got like, it doesn't happen that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what camper, for example, has been at the moment, the, the biggest platform, uh, where people can upload their own tones. What that shows us is, uh, let's take the rectifier, for example, because it's such a famous amp. There must be, literally thousands and thousands of rectifier profiles yeah and if it really would be the amp that makes the difference they would all sound the same but they sound so incredibly different from each other mm -hmm. and that's just because people mic it differently or right. use a different cap and stuff it's really not so much the amp and people still don't want to don't want to believe that i actually did this little test with a gravity somewhere uh no like this little ms2 marshall the, the one you with a like a belt clip kind of thing yeah uh yeah. And I actually uh, converted the headphone out to like a, uh, yeah, to 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 a jack, and I plugged that into a, a bigger power amp just to get it loud enough, and and used that, and it sounded like the best guitar tone ever. And then I went a step further, and uh, didn't even use the power amp. I just used the the little two watt or whatever it is uh, headphone amp, and plugged that into a uh, Mesa 412 cap and use that in a mix and that's actually on youtube somewhere and it sounds so big and so good from this shitty little amp uh, and people were just like oh, no no you, you no no that's that's fake so, no, it's not fake it's just really <laughs> it's the cab and the mic that's a lot of the sound really i think it's always going to be difficult to sell this huge wooden box with speakers in it that yeah. you have to move around it's just never going to be that that even with most major retailers they're still going to charge you shipping you know god forbid if you go on 
reverb or an eBay, they're going to charge you an arm and a leg. Like nobody wants to deal with a speaker cab and nobody wants to admit that they had, they need a new speaker cab. So I think it's going to be a long time before people finally make the switch and realize, Hey, just get a new cab. <laughs> your tone's going to sound. I think it's the same thing with mixers, really. Everybody addresses the wrong thing. Everybody just attacks the guitar tone full on ahead of time. Doesn't realize that, hey, if you actually listen to this with really well, you know, good mixed drums and really decent bass and then a slightly well EQ'd, I mean, you don't even have to really EQ the guitar tone that well. You have a dramatically different picture than you normally would yeah. if you if you just oh, but the guitar tone has to sound good, bro. I'm working on the guitar tone. I get that. But listen to the rest of it first and then see. You know, you'd be surprised what sounds good in the mix, you know, even with the guitars not being what you think they should be. So I think pretty much any record with an awesome guitar tone that people love, if they would just uh, hear the guitar tone solo, they'd be like, this is fizzy and thin and shit. Exactly. Like, uh, going back to Snape, uh, um, he's got arguably, arguably the best guitar tones ever. And I heard some of his uh, rhythm guitar tone solo and I was like, Okay, this sounds really bad if you just listen to it solo because it's just scratchy and, and weird sounding and in the mix it's just massive because it just that's the space it has uh and if it if you make it occupy more space than is actually available you're going to mask the good stuff too and uh so yeah that like if there's a secret to to getting a secret to getting good guitar tones it's probably to uh create them with a mix in mind Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think, you know, working with, with STL, I've had, since I've been making videos for them for the past few months, I've, I've had more questions and I've had a YouTube channel for a while, which I had questions, but never as many as with them about people just trying to figure out, Hey, what are you doing with your guitar tone? Cause I'll make a demo out of a pack that they'll make or something. And they'll ask me all these questions about it. And it really just kind of brings light to the fact that people just don't realize that, look, honestly, 90% of the time, the guitar tone you think that is what's going to sound good in a mix. doesn't sound anything like the guitar tone soloed by itself. And they'll listen to some of these presets and say, hey, how come that preset doesn't sound like it does on this album? And I'd be like, well, because on the album, it's not soloed. If you actually listen to this pack, let's say they take one of your presets in your pack and they say, this doesn't sound right. You know what I mean? Like, but if you drop it into your mix and you kind of work on the mix a little bit, it's going to sound amazing. You know, so I, I, there's so many people that are just lost and just solely worrying about guitar tone. Yeah. And what they don't realize is that in 80% of the scenarios or more, you are not by yourself. Like even if you're not uh, using tone up to mix records, if you're using it to play live or any guitar tone, even if it's a real amp, like uh, the plan or the goal is always to play with a band, be it in a live context or in a rehearsal room or jam with your friends or on a record. Like, of course you have to practice at home, but no one's gonna hear it. So it doesn't really matter as much if it, if it sounds great. You just need a tone that gives you proper feedback so you can develop your technique and Right. and learn the song and practice and hear the mistakes. But eventually you're gonna play with someone else, so that's the goal. And uh, so it doesn't doesn't make much sense to have a guitar tone that sounds amazing if you just play by yourself, because no one's gonna hear it, so who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when you develop that tone, and I remember I had this tone for a long time, I had this, and I still have it, it's Line Pod 6 2.0. And I, th I think it's the same one that Meshuga used to make their first album. So everybody thought, oh, you can get an amazing tone out of this, right? And so I created these tones and I was a big lead player. I was super into Satriani at the time and just lead playing because the guy that I was playing guitar with was all into that. So I got into that too. And then I remember trying to play with a band with it and I couldn't even hear myself. Like no matter how loud I turned it up, I couldn't hear my tone. And I was like, what do you mean? This was an amazing tone. I was playing at home, but it sounded like crap when you played it with people. It just didn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think the same is true for, oh, go ahead. The same for, for bass, actually. Like uh, in a mix, uh, you'll have to distort the bass much more than you think. Mm -hmm. And then you listen to it solo and everything like, yeah, this doesn't sound like a bass, it sounds like a guitar. Well, yeah, but if it sounds like what you think a bass sounds like, it, it won't work in the mix. It's just going to be muddy low end and you're not going to have any note definition. So, yeah, always, well, I always try to approach things with a mix in mind. And I can totally, I, I see how, how that doesn't work for everyone. And I can totally see how some people might think that what I think is good tone sounds thin. And that's fair enough. Uh, like if, if they want to have a throatier or a bigger or a more muscular tone, uh, well, use an unboosted one. Use, like use the German uh, boutique pack, for example. But uh, <laughs> yeah. and then boost it to get it into the mix. Exactly. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You know, when when whenever I have that argument with people, I'm like, oh well, it should be. You know, I want a big, really thick, heavy metal tone. I'm like, have you ever even listened to? Uh, not asking you, but what I say to them is, have you ever have you ever listened to Cowboys from Hell? You know, because obviously. People would assume that you know Dime and Pantera would be the epitome of what heavy metal, good heavy metal tone is. And if you really listen to the album, the guitar tone sounds like crap. Like the actual yeah. tone itself being brought into the spectrum of being like the first really big iconic heavy metal tone. It was very thin. It was there was no mids. It was very scooped. It was uh, it was pretty much the opposite of how you would dial in a good heavy metal tone. Now, right now. You have a ton of mids. You have a lot of presence. You want it to be. You want it to cut through the mix so that way you can cut the bass and you can make it fit right. And I'm like, what? But I'm like, yeah. But you love that record, right? And that record made a is, you know, easily one of the most impactful records, uh, you know, up there of all time with with most guitar players and most guitar players of my generation. It wasn't even that great of a guitar tone. You know what I mean? Just goes to show you, it's not necessarily about the guitar tone exactly what you did. It's what you do with it. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a lot of requests on Facebook and email and stuff about uh, guitar tones. Like, can how can I get that tone? And can what which one of your patches do I use to get that tone? And just recently, someone asked me about the Metallica guitar tone and mm -hmm. which patch they should use, which one of my tone up uh, presets to to get close to that. And and they were he was describing it as a, a quite different from from what I think the tone is. And uh, I. I happen to have the solo guitar tones for the, the, the Metallica albums, the Black Album, the other ones. Oh, just sent to the, Yeah, I, I got to send you a snippet. It's just a, like a little snippet of just the rhythm guitars. And he was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so you see, I, I, wouldn't, I would not uh, create a profile or a patch for you and sell you that because you would hate me. Like, if, if I sent you that tone as a patch, you'd be like, what a fucking asshole. You just uh, ripped me off there. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's what it sounds like in the mix then. Uh, it sounds great with the bass and everything, but you have to be still like all that in mind. I still want to give the people the stuff that I'm actually using and not just uh, play the, the whole uh, psychoacoustic game and give them something they immediately love because, uh, well, in the end, it's my name on there and they're going to be like, okay, this doesn't sound like the mix. So I want to give them what, what I'm using and what, what I like because it's working. And it would be so easy to just uh, get the thickest, densest guitar tone, and it would work for them live or in the mix or something. So I can't put my name on that. Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I think it's just a matter of education. I think people come around. When, like, when I made a demo video for them, I made a on the Mark Lewis pack. And I'm a big, you know, fan of Mark Lewis and all the bands I work with. Absolutely, good guy, an amazing so, pack. Yeah. 
definitely. So I so I took one of his presets. Can't remember which one it was, but I took the preset. I recorded my guitars left and right and just dropped it in as is onto the uh, onto itself. And, and I think people are like people are even overcomplicating the process of mixing track at home. I am not the mixing engineer producer. I am nowhere even like i'm lucky if i can even figure out how to use cubase on a good day it's like i just dropped it on there recorded my stuff i barely learned how to use my drum programs and stuff and i put it out and they're like oh well you know i guess but you must be using compression you must be using this you must be you must know how to use all this stuff and when i put it out there nobody moved me i said look first of all i didn't use any compression whatsoever because i don't know how i don't know the right context to use it I don't i don't know how to i barely know how to write automation like i, I know how to volume something up that's about it, right? I don't know how to do anything else. I'm not going to compress the drop. I don't know how to bring out the high end. Like, I don't know how to do any of that. So when, when they when they DM me on Instagram and I say, what do you mean there's nothing on it? They're, what do you mean there's nothing on it? There's nothing. There's no compression. There's no there's no after EQ. There's no, you know, master, fader, buses, or anything like that. It's just two guitars, bass, and drums. And that's just how good the Mark Lewis pack sounds. That's that's it. That's how it would work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. I'm like, uh, usually just fade us up, it shuts sound in the ballpark. It shuts sound decent, and then you can fine tune. If it, if it doesn't sound decent there already, the source material isn't good. If you have to start uh, by default, compress everything, uh, something's wrong in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think that highlights just how I don't know. I don't know how your mind works, man. And I don't know what you did to it or, or how, like, some of you guys, you know, Will Putney and Mark Lewis, and you obviously how you guys your brain attaches to to gear and to you know mixing and how you approach all these things and how you your brain just splits itself off in a million different places when you're actually putting something like that together so hats off to you man you, you do an amazing job and and it's it's something that a lot of people can do you know what i mean so it's 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 pretty crazy i'm, I'm super stoked about the pack that's coming out for sure oh happy um by the way um just going back to the eight something uh, just remembered all the lead tones and all the solos on that album were actually a uh, tone hub preset. And it's one of the presets in, in my pack. It's called, I think, Silky Solos. Oh, really? And we used that, and it ended up in the album. I didn't reamp. Um, it was the it was before tone hub was released. I got the like the beta version, obviously, with my with my sounds in there. And we just used that, that patch, the Silky Solo one, and that ended up being the solo patch for the whole album. And I'm still quite happy with it. So. That's awesome. Using it. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, if you're using, you know, I think it's an explanation enough. And I think everybody kind of just assumes there's, there's more, you know, magic to be done before it makes it to an album. But, you know, I think when you realize it, if you're using your own presets to, to put out your own albums that they can actually purchase on ToneHub, I mean, it's coming directly from the source right now. I mean, they're, they're good presets. They sound amazing. They sound really good. Yeah, I'm using them all the time. Like, um, if I'm reamping or when I'm reamping, which I'm which I'm doing, it's it's mainly not because the tone up stuff doesn't work for me. It's mainly because what I said earlier, I want to approach everything from scratch and to create a new tone for the band. So I rarely use um, for a new album. I rarely use uh, rhythm guitars that I used before. So I probably wouldn't uh, record all rhythm guitars and, and use that with an existing preset or patch. But I definitely use it all the time for. Like little overdubs and crunchy things, and uh, and that often ends up on the album as well. Then, because um, I feel like if all these little extra ingredients you throw in, like this little lead overdub stuff, um, that's more about the arrangement than about the 
like the uniqueness in, in that is in the songwriting and the arrangement, why you throw in the sparkly little lead. And it's not necessarily, oh, this lead needs uh, its very own unique tone that's never existed before. So I'm happy to use a preset or a patch for that sort of stuff. I would be happy, like if I hadn't the, if I wouldn't have the chance to reamp and create my own tones, I would happily use the toner presets on an album as well. Like the 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 reason I'm not doing it is simply because I got like 35 amps here and, and 12 caps, and I don't don't have to. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. But that's exactly why we we would be going to you for those presets. You can't. Know, because <laughs> we're getting it directly from the source. That way, I don't have to buy a 35 amplifier and figure that whole thing out and buy. Exactly. I tried it once. I, I tried using a microphone to to mic up my my angle cab. It was a big disaster. I'd, I'd rather just use your presets. I promise. <laughs> it's just so much easier. It's like it's almost like you guys are just kind of wired to be able to take a million things and put them together somehow, almost like a big puzzle. Because I, I I've I've sent off files myself to have them you know mixed or whatever, and even I'm. I'm exporting my own files and I'm lost. I'm like, I, I'm like, Shh, uh, wait, what do I do? Like, is this? And then I'll look at them in a file or in a Dropbox file, and I'll be like, I have no idea what goes where anymore. I'm lost. Like, I got lost six tracks ago. Like, I have no clue where anything is. I'm still doing the same. Like, you, you label the files: final, 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 capital letters, final, exclamation <laughs> mark, absolutely this one, and it's just, <laughs> just going to go <laughs> until we've got like file names like this, and it's yeah. just. 10 times final and 20 times swear words. And I'm doing the same, yeah. But I don't know. I think it, it takes a certain amount of, of uh, weird and crazy to even work in this profession. Like, well, or music in general. Like, if you decide that's your that's your job, music, uh, something is wrong with you anyway. Yeah. yeah you know, I think... I think that, like, from my from my standpoint, because I, I, I want to be involved in music, right? I want to play guitar... And I want to be involved in music. I don't want to do all the work in between that. You know what I mean? I don't want to. Uh, I, don't, I, I never want to be the guy sitting at the chair being the one who has everybody resting on their shoulders. And we're like, yeah, well, I'm here to play. But, you know, you're the one that's supposed to make me sound good. You know what I mean? So um, I, I've always tried yeah, to. It's kind of combining those two words because uh, you have to have definitely have to have that creative approach and a creative mind like you do have as a musician. And I think with that, um creative approach to things uh comes come a lot of problems really because um the more like the more creative you are the more this whole process is a part of your life the less organized your life is probably going to be because there are right. very few right. people i think that are very organized and very uh well clear and structured but also are very creative i mean they they might exist but I'd say the majority of the musicians is uh, all over the place. And, and and our job is kind of to tie that together while it's at the same time also being a fucking mess. And so we have to kind of organize, uh, like getting all the, getting the best out of the musicians. And that's actually where I see my main job in, uh, in the process is not to get the best snare tone or to get the, the best guitar sound. I think my my job is done, like if the musician leaves and says, like this was the best performance I could do, or this song turned out the best it could. Um, that's when I think I've done my job. So my job is to get the musician to deliver, but also to, to read the musician, to know what he's capable of and how to get there, which is very, very different from one person to the next, obviously, because one guy you have to yell at for hours to just uh, do that, and the next person, if you just uh, 
yell at him, he's going to break down and cry and not do anything anymore because he's going to be too, I don't know, scared. Um, right. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of, I think, what a lot of his job is, combining this creative process and putting it into order of some sort. Kind of moving on from from talking gear and, and kind of nerding out on that stuff. Uh, I see you're wearing a Nevermore T-shirt. I'm a huge Jeff oh, yeah. fan. Uh, so, where, who is who influenced you first to really start getting into metal music and start your progression as becoming a producer? Um, Metallica, I guess. Like uh, I'm born 1980, so I uh, when I started listening to metal, <coughs> I started pretty young, I think. Um, it's like the oldest picture of me with a Sodom shirt is 88. So I was like eight years old and had like the source, the law Sodom shirt. And, um, that's when I started listening to metal and it was Metallica for me. Like I've always been a huge Metallica fan. And then in the mid nineties, when I was like 14 or 15, I got into like, uh, death metal, uh, Godfest and stuff like that and black metal and Marduk and all that sort of thing. And was actually like my first the first signed band I was in was a black metal band, uh, like 1998 or something. And yeah. And then I, well, it's always been Metallica and then in flames. I, I do like, although I just said black metal and death metal, I do like some melody in my stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've always liked the inflamed stuff, uh, even the newer stuff like, uh, the, uh, come clarity and stuff like that, that people love to hate. I like big pop choruses right. and Nevermore for me was one of those bands that I really always loved for like all the reasons, like the production was spot on was Andy Sneap, right. uh, like the later ones anyway. Um, the first, first one I heard was the first one Sneap did, the Dead Heart in a Dead World, which is still like the best record. Oh, yeah. And the guitar playing is amazing. Jeff Loomis is an absolute beast. I love the song. I love how they combined, um, like the melodic qualities and they had their own unique sound with all the brutality and metal and tread and everything. So yeah. I've always been a huge fan. So obviously everybody's been kind of cooped up lately. Everybody's been stuck at home and you said you've been working from, you know, remotely people have been sending you stuff to mix, but when you haven't been working on anything, is there anything particular you've been listening to? Is there any metal bands that you've been really into in the past, you know, couple of months? <sighs> stuff I'm working on or in, in general, Oh, just in general, just you're 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 bringing out your phone and you you found a band like you you somebody you didn't really listen to before, but you listen to them now and you're like, oh, this sounds amazing. Not so much really, because I've got a I've got difficulties um, separating the sound from the music now. Like the stuff I listened to 20 years ago, In Flames, Nevermore, Metallica, whatever, it's always going to be great. Um, but the new stuff, I often can't tell if I like it because it's well produced and it sounds good, or if I actually like the music. And right. it's hard for me yeah. to to listen to that um, with a like the regular regular consumer perspective. Like if I listen to a new band, it's, uh, I can't just enjoy it. Uh, if it's it has to sound good, and then I can enjoy the music too. And um, every now and then that happens. But uh, since I'm working so much with metal and music every day, I I usually listen to audiobooks when I'm in the car or podcasts. Or uh, weirdly enough shitty modern country which also comes from like the i know i don't i don't know it was weird like we when we recorded in florida the eight storm one uh on the way to the studio we listened to 
what is it like k94.3 country whatever uh-huh. and a lot of like florida georgia line and and uh right. john party and stuff like that and i started listening to it like kind of ironically and then and i figured out well this is essentially very well written pop songs <laughs> very well produced it's pretty much yeah. It kinda, yeah and it, uh, it's not like the music i love but like if i listen to it now it kind of puts me back into that driving on the palm trees to the studio kind of mood mm-hmm. so um every now and then i listen to stuff like that even if i wouldn't recommend it to anyone i kind of enjoy it and so yeah I'm, when I'm listening to metal, it's it's usually like my old '80s, '90s playlist or Judas Priest, which is yeah one of my favorite bands. And but it's not really underground or new. Um, right. So right. no, not really. Well, Silosis <laughs> would be a band that I would absolutely recommend, and I think they are criminally underrated. Um, Josh uh, playing guitar in um, Architects now. Guitar, and he's his own band is Silosis. Like if, if you haven't heard them, check him out. They're amazing. He's a killer guitar player. I'm always on his YouTube channel. I, I love his guitar so tone. He's a great guy too. He's nice. Yeah. I like how he um, I think the last one was tuned down a bit, but most of his stuff was uh, tuned to E standard, like the previous record. And it still sounds so heavy and it kind of shows how how the riff uh, is what makes it heavy really and not the tuning. But it is much harder to write heavy stuff in standard tuning because you actually have to write good riffs instead of just chugging away on a little string. And I really appreciate Silosis for doing that perfectly. Yeah, that was a big yeah, thing was- when he was making, you know, when he was making that record and, and people really started taking notice of Silosis. And and the first thing everybody talked about was the fact he wasn't drop tuned, right? He wasn't not only was he not drop tuned, he wasn't he wasn't even like in D, he was just in standard. And so when it was like, and that's the first thing everybody said, is like, hey, you know, that just goes to show you, you don't have to have eight strings. Don't get me wrong. I like extended range guitars as much as the next guy. I like, I like messing around with seven strings and writing a heavy song now and again. But, um, you know, another good example is like Trivium. You know, their first, their first big record, they had it from Embers to Inferno, but then they ended up having, you know, um, Ascendancy. And when Ascendancy came out, that was not a really epically low record. I think they were just, in st- they were in drop D, I believe. They weren't even in drop C. Um, and drop D in it, and it sounded extremely heavy and the riff sounded really really good but yeah it's a perfect example everybody always every time i think stylosis is now forever connected with being able to be very heavy and not having to you know really drop tune that low so criminally underrated like they should be much bigger than they are oh definitely definitely um, another band i would recommend is actually one i mixed last year called sublime ice uh, from norway mm-hmm. and they're really good they're not big yet at all uh, but there are kind of, if you like, at the gates, the haunted, all in flame stuff, you've got to like sublime eyes too. Yeah. And they're really good. I would recommend those. Oh, definitely. I'm a huge Ola England. Right. And, and all those guys. I'm a huge fan of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Always been a big fan. I remember the first song I heard from In Flames was Cloud Connected. And I, and I don't know why I ended up listening to it. I just did one. Of, that was, it was when YouTube was getting big and, and somebody, it wasn't even their video. Somebody took the song and just put like a picture of a guitar or something like that. And I was like, what is this cloud connected? The name just sounded cool. So I clicked on it and then I immediately downloaded the record and started listening to all their stuff and all the way up to come clarity. I mean, I thought of come clarity was an amazing record. Like I thought the cover was super cool. That guy just has his heart torn out and he's standing there uh, to cover that record. I, I mean, I was super into that stuff, especially that led me into soil work and, um, 
there, there, there was like a, another spinoff band too, with like Disharmony, Moonbi or something. I can't, I can't remember the name of it right now. But it led me into yeah, a whole yeah, yeah. Swedish metal uh, after that. Um, this is another band I'm mixing right now, actually. That is uh, quite cool too. Um, called Communic, and they're very. Um, if you like Nevermore, you might like Communic too. Mm-hmm. So that record's gonna come out. I don't know. Probably can't spill right now. But uh, while well, I'm mixing a new one, new one right now, and that, that's gonna be cool too. Um, so from good. Norway as well. Huh? There's so much good music Perfect. right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Any music. I wish I could just listen to it more and enjoy it more. Um, like every now and then I make an attempt to try and enjoy listening to music again. Mm-hmm. The way I used to when I was a kid, which is probably impossible because you, you listen differently. Like you had your two cassettes or four CDs or whatever, and you right. knew them inside out. And, uh, in bed, like pretending or thinking, imagining yourself on stage, uh, singing along or whatever, and you knew everything inside out. And now you got your playlist with like awesome music, but it's twenty thousand in there, and you've got it on shuffle, and you just don't listen the same anymore. And that's, for example, why I think uh, what's good about vinyl, uh, like going off on a tangent here, but people keep referring to vinyl as like the holy grail sound wise, and it's not. It's uh, in fact, it's. It's limited compared to CD and stuff because you have to reduce the high end. You have to like mono the bass so the needle doesn't jump out. And but what it does, it it means you have to actually take this thing out of the out of the sleeve and just put it put it on the on the player, and you can't just skip. So you, you have to listen, and it makes you sit down for a good while, even if it's not the whole album. You're gonna sit down for like twenty minutes or thirty minutes or whatever and listen right. to music. It makes you appreciate it uh, in a different way, I think, uh, compared to having an iTunes playlist on Shuttle. And every now and then I'm trying to get into that mood again, which is very difficult for me now to just sit down and listen to music as a consumer and just like the music. And I'm very jealous, actually, of everyone who does that. And uh, it's a bit of a, a curse of the job, I think, because uh, yeah. people keep telling you to like find what you love and do it, and you don't have to work a day in your life or whatever it's called and it's it's kind of not true because uh you risk ruining what you love I'm not not saying i don't like music anymore but uh at some point it becomes a job and it's not all fun and you kind of start losing your appreciation for some of the stuff that you loved about in the first place and that's very very difficult i think to maintain and i'm trying to make a conscious effort to uh like reserve some of that uh all I used to have, uh, or the, the, what music did to me, or it does to everyone, really. And the first couple of years, uh, I worked literally 16 hours per day, seven days a week before I had kids, like even Christmas, like seven days for years. And eventually, it just, uh, I was like, oh, this is, this is not fun anymore at all. Like, uh, and then I started, like you, your, your hobby is dead too, because I used to play in a band, and while well, I I'm not gonna rec- mix music for 16 hours and then go into the rehearsal room to tell right. the other guys how to play the instrument, because for them it's just fun and they just come there like once a week or twice a week and just jam. And I'm like, okay, well we've been there last week already, and now we have to go back two hours and just to get to the same point where we were last time. And it was so fucking annoying that I quit the band eventually. Um, and decided I need a hobby outside of hobby outside of music, and uh, so I started doing Muay Thai and working out. And then that's something I can only recommend—not not necessarily Muay Thai, but uh, like doing something that is 
not music, if you work in the industry or if you want to work in the music business uh, as a musician or as a producer, engineer, whatever, mm-hmm. reserve your some space in your head and in your life for something that is not music and that is entirely different, be it sports or whatever hobby. And that kind of made me appreciate my daily life as a, as a producer and engineer much more again because I all of a sudden was able to work and enjoy music more consciously again because I had now had this other hobby, this other part of my mind that kind of took me out of all this every right. now and then. Right. And that's crazy important, I think. But it took me a good couple of years to realize that. Did you have it? Was it a tie like from a time ago? Or did you Thailand? Did you take advantage of that at all when you were in Thailand? Yeah. Um, I didn't get the first part of the sentence there. Uh, audio dropped out. But um, yeah, when I was in Thailand, uh, I did train a little bit, not as much as I'd like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, just didn't didn't have enough time. That we were for, I think, three weeks, which right. is a good amount of time. But uh, yeah, I did train in Thailand, but it's not as much as I would have liked to. And I used to train a lot, and like everything I do is uh, I'm going totally overboard with it and going crazy. And eventually, I ended up teaching Muay Thai and uh, fighting and. Um, so that became not necessarily a job, but it became a thing that was so big again that it occupied too much space in my mind again. And eventually, I had like now I've got a like I've got cartilage damage in my knee, and I can't really. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to be forty soon, so I'm old, <laughs> and I'm not, not going to be actively fighting anymore. So it's uh, it's becoming a bit more of a hobby again now, rather than this obsession, right? But yeah, I'm trying to to do as much as I can still. Oh, okay, gotcha. I wish this was a uh, an MMA podcast because I have a ton more questions about fighting. Oh. That's something I'm a huge fan of. But unfortunately, it is a music podcast, so I'm gonna try. <laughs> I know exactly. Try to keep it to. I uh, try to keep it. Try to stay in my lane. But, um, you know, just a, a question really quick about guitar playing because I'm a guitar player. So you know, from coming from somebody who's profiling stuff and creating tones. Uh, if you were in the studio right now and you were and somebody asked you basically to create an album, uh, what 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 would be your go-to guitar? Uh, like you know, are you going for a, you know Gibson Les Paul? Are you going for a classic style of guitar? Are you going for a new metal guitar? Hard to say with a normal style in the player, really. Um, definitely can't go wrong with a Les Paul, obviously, but. Um... <sighs> Yeah, really, I would have to look at the play and uh, at the, the style and the music they make, they do. Like, I would start with a humbucker guitar, in metal anyway. Um, right. Not saying you can't record metal with a single coil, but, well, yeah, I would probably start with a humbucker guitar. And I'm a big fan of active pickups for uh, modern and fast stuff, just because it has this, a bit of this uh, built-in tube screamer kind of thing, where it rolls off a little bit of lows. Right. And actually, like... Uh, Active pickups are like this whole thing. They're too scooped as, as, as bullshit. Actually, rather mid forward. Like they've got the very highs rolled off and they've got the lows rolled off. And this uh, low roll off makes them very tight for like thrashy palm you're playing. But then again, if, it, if it's more like sludgy, doomy kind of stuff, I, I wouldn't use an active pickup at all. I would just use an old, uh, whatever, PAF tire humbucker or something. So yeah, I don't have a go to really. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, I think it's there's always there's always you know a ton of different tools for the job, and everybody has the guitar that they swear by. I got some I got some crazy stuff in here. I don't even know if I should show this to you right now, but figured might as well. 
like I'm doing a demo on this thing right now. Oh wow! Yeah, and it looks sick. This is probably the most incredible guitars I've ever played, and it's it's crazy how it looks different, but there's just it's insane, right? And it's it's a it's a builder in New York, and he he ended up sending it to me for a demo. Um, and it's just incredible how far guitars have come. And but it's just like the, they took the foundation of guitars and just went up and up and up and up and up. And now it's like you, it's just like amplifiers and it's just like you know everything else. There's so much of it that nobody even knows where to start. You just get hit over the head with how many choices you have now. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, I and I, I just keep telling people the same thing: just pick up your guitar, plug it in, and play, and then figure out the sound later. Just try yeah. to. Play best you can yeah, and it's often uh i think in the guitar what's more important than like people go off about uh, well amount of strings obviously and pickups and, and words but there's so much like little details that are more important like the, the neck angle or like the most important thing for me is before you even talk about pickups uh like all those guys have their custom guitars designed or their dream guitars made by sp or whatever and they talk about pickups and words, and what no one ever talks about is like the distance between the bridge pickup and the bridge, for example. Which mm -hmm. to me is like the, the one key thing that uh, defines if a guitar is really tight and fast tracking the low end. Like uh, to go to the extreme examples, if you if you got your bridge pickup and you do the threshy palm stuff, mm -hmm. switch to the neck pickup and do the same, and it sounds entirely different. Obviously, because it's in a different spot. And I think that's what what makes a massive difference between guitars, uh, like how close the pickup is to the bridge. And I want my pickup to be uh, very, very close to the bridge to get this high gain, tight, uh, thrashy, uh, like fast tracking palm mutes, like machine gun type type of uh, palm mutes. And that obviously wouldn't sound too great if you play clean. You want to pick up a bit further in, but uh, yeah, for, for thrashy stuff. And that's why I like the old DSP, for example, because they've got the pickup a bit closer to the bridge compared to Jackson's, for example. Uh -huh. And uh, no one ever talks about that, but that's for me. It's like one of the most important things. Gibson Les Paul, for example, has got a bridge pickup close to the bridge as well. And there's actually going to be a, a Las Alamas signature guitar that's coming out really soon from a German custom luthier. It's called uh, Ziggy Braun. Okay. And he's doing awesome guitars. And that one we designed that about a year ago. And I had um, Dan Goldsworth. He had me that. He's doing artwork for uh, Accept and uh, Cradle of Filth and tons of bands and also for the Airstone stuff. Oh, nice. And since I, I've always been like a big fan of the Explorer shape and I love the Kelly shape, it's kind of a, a mix between those two. And working with uh, Ziggy Brown on, on like my signature model enabled me to get all those little details and like, for example, the distance between the bridge and the pickup. Uh, so this hopefully is going to be like the perfect guitar for me. We'll see. Oh, nice. How, how long until they're actually available to, for purchase? I'd love to see one. Um, that's a good question. Um, it was supposed to be released already, so, <laughs> but it's not, um, I guess like the whole Corona thing has slowed things down for, for everyone. Right. Uh, but it's in the process. It should be, should be done very soon, really. Um, yeah. People who follow me on Facebook and stuff. I'm definitely going to post about it. It's going to be, it's going to be. I think uh, there's going to be a limited run for like half price uh, in the first year or something. And it's in like, like I said, between Kelly and Explorer Shape. It's a neck through design, uh, fixed bridge, tunematic. 
and it's got Fishman Fluence pickups in it, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be neon green. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Is that just your? Is that just your? What you wanted? Um, I'm just so black guitars so are. I don't want to say boring, but like we all started with the same cheap guitars, like the BC Ridge Bronze Series and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. or Ivan as uh, whatever, like the cheaper RG Series three fifty or whatever, and yeah. they're all black. Like cheap yeah. guitars are black, and so that's still kind of in my head like a black guitar worse even with a chrome hardware it looks cheap to me so i'm trying to get away from that and i do have a couple of guitars with like a nice flame maple top uh, and that looks great but i like that on like a les paul or something but on, on this more heavy shaped guitar i wanted to go with a solid color and figured like kawasaki green or like the Loch Ness green uh, would be amazing for for heavy guitar with like points and stuff all right so that's that's funny that's that's a very loud color yeah i was just interested in how you ended up picking that yeah i have i think, I think you can like if you if you uh, get one of them you can choose your own color you don't have to necessarily go with uh, the kawasaki green oh okay okay i thought it was gonna be like limited runs just straight up green guitars that that which would have been fine don't think so yeah i'm, I'm maybe, I pick black guitars and and like faded guitars and things like that. Like I, I'm more about the wood grain than I am about even the color of the guitar. So I have possibly the most subtle guitars ever. I never, I don't have the personality to play a, a, a an awesome Kawasaki green guitar, unfortunately. But well, dude, Lassa, thank you so much for joining me, man. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go for you got for everybody who doesn't know, it's 2 a.m. here in Southern California. Uh, it's it's yeah, thanks for last no of course no no thank you this has been an amazing conversation man it's so great to pick your brain i wish i had six more hours to just talk to you about everything dude because it's so awesome you seem to be on the same page when it comes to metal so i'm a huge fan um keep doing what you're doing thank you so much for joining us and uh we will we'll catch up with you and like i said for everybody watching uh be on the lookout for that german boutique pack that he's releasing it is sounds absolutely amazing thanks thanks for having me absolutely yes. my pleasure we'll catch you soon thanks man Thank you.